Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. Now, if you know anything at all about Beeson Divinity School, you probably know this is a school that takes seriously the vocation of proclamation. Mr. Beeson, when he founded our school back in 1988, said, I want you to train pastors who can preach. And we rehearse that and remind ourselves of that mission all the time. Well, today here in the studios, we have an outstanding preacher who's also a doctor of ministry alumnus of our school, Dr. Ralph Douglas West. Dr. Ralph Douglas West is the pastor of the Church Without Walls in Houston, Texas. He's a wonderful man of God and a great, great preacher of the Word, and we're delighted to have him with us. Thank you, Ralph, for joining us today. Thank you, Dean George. Now, I want to begin just by asking you to uh, share your testimony a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, I started off in the church, interestingly, but I dropped out as soon as I started. <laughs> so I was a kind of kid dropout. During that period of uh, interim of being an absentee, mother who raised her children alone, mm-hmm. um, mm. uh, faithful to our church. But I yeah. just dropped out. And yeah. uh, I guess in hindsight, uh, wisdom prevailed because she never forced me to get up with everybody else to go. Yeah. I think I would have made my children do it, but she didn't. Mm-hmm. And during that time, uh, we had a, a great preacher in Houston. His name was Charles Allen. He was at First United Methodist yes. Church. And he would preach with that heavy southern accent. And I would listen to him. I didn't know what I was listening to. <laughs> but later I think I, that the Lord was working on me even yeah, then. Yeah. And then at age uh, 15, uh, I had a cousin who said, you should go to church. Mm. And what really attracted me to church was my pastor's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and um, But again, uh, in a kind of serendipity, that may have attracted me to come to church, but I found myself really listening, not understanding, but listening to the scriptures. Mm. And my pastor, who was a wonderful preacher, Oliver Carlton Johnson Sr., O.C. Johnson, uh, was preaching, and I really felt arrested uh, to know God, to really know him personally. And then as a student athlete, I had a friend named Freddie Lewis who asked me, has anybody ever talked to you about Jesus? Mm. And uh, I didn't know quite how to answer that. And he put out a small green New Testament Gideon and started reading from Romans and asked me would I accept Christ. And I didn't at that time. But later that summer of 1975 in my mother's home, I got on my knees and I had another friend, Rufus Smith, who uh, really exemplified what it meant to be a young Christian. And I said, Lord, whatever Rufus got, let me have that. Yeah, and that was my yeah. confession to, to salvation. And so yeah. now I know now that the Lord was working when I wasn't working on myself. So Wonderful. that's how I came to faith in Christ. Fantastic. And you were called to preach as a fairly young man. Yeah. I started preaching at 16. Yeah. My call to preach came almost simultaneous to my yeah. uh, calling from God to salvation. Yeah. And, uh, and I sense that I, I'm a one generation preacher. Um, what do you mean by that? One uh, generation. Well, I'm the only one in the family I that see. was doing it. Yeah, yeah one you're the first of the line. That first of the line. <laughs> that, yeah, that's a good. <laughs> yeah, the first of the line. So I, I wasn't looking at anything that I saw in somebody else, but I really felt. I can I can describe it now. At that moment, I just felt I would say called to preach, but now I know it was God pressing down on my conscience. Yeah. 
his spirit saying, you know, speak my word for me. And I, that's the one thing I've been certain of. I've had other blunders, but not at that. I've been very It's a great word. Now, I know um, you went to Southwestern Baptist Theological yeah. Seminary for your basic uh, Master mm-hmm. of Divinity training. Then you came to Beeson for your Doctor of Ministry degree. Mm-hmm. Um, say a little bit about seminary. Yeah. Uh, positive, negative? What Did it help you? Did it hinder you? Uh, any, not just Southwestern Beeson, yeah. the whole theological education thing. You know, I kind of grew up in an environment where uh, education was held in suspicion, mm-hmm. and maybe for some good reasons. Yeah. Because the, the the rumor was you you go up there to the seminary and they'll you know quench any fire you've got burning in your soul, so you got to be careful about that. Um, what was your experience, and and how do you think about that now on this side of your educational uh, yeah. pilgrimage? I too came out of that kind of high suspicion uh, suspicion taught theological education, and uh, it's amazing. It doesn't matter whether you're in Tennessee or Texas; it's the same thing that you know that that they, they, they will. Quench the spirit or the fire and passion of your faith, or they'll question the Bible. But I never approached theological education with any suspicion. Interestingly, my pastor was not a trained man. He had mm. not, never gone to college or seminary. Self-taught. Self-taught. But he insisted that the young men who started preaching under him had to go to college. Mm. And he never said seminary, but that's what he meant. Had to go to Bible school or divinity school. And he pushed that. And so from my very beginning uh, as an undergraduate student at Bishop College studying a philosophy of religion, I found studying fascinating. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the times that I took study serious, even more fascinating. Yeah, so yeah. seminary was a great delight for me. Great. Even when I disagreed, I didn't understand, yeah. I didn't like. Yeah. Uh, I knew that my faith was being formed and my whole vision of life was being reshaped by the scriptures. And I enjoyed that. I still have a fascination with people who are scholars and the disciplines of the testaments or in theology to hear how God uses their thinking to help other people really come to faith or to deepen their faith. So Mm. theological education for me was a real joy. I never, I never begrudged it. It was always good. I encourage men and women now. You know, I've been fortunate to have a lot of, in our African-American church tradition, we call them sons and daughters in yeah, the ministry. Yeah. So I try to push them toward theological yeah. education to say, you want to do this. Yeah. You know, I was going to say, you've done what your pastor did for you in yes. pointing the way and encouraging others to come along and follow that call of God yes. in their life. We've yeah. had some students here at Beeson from yes. your church in right. Houston. Now, I want to switch just a little bit and ask you to say just a word about your church. We could spend a whole hour oh, yeah, talking yeah, about your church. Yeah. I want to get to preaching. But tell us about the Church Without Walls, because you've been involved with it really from the beginning, haven't you? I'm the founding pastor. Yeah, means you've made all the mistakes. All the mistakes. <laughs> Everyone. That, that's they the call truth. me the founding dean. Yeah. I've made all the mistakes <laughs> yeah. here at Beeson. <laughs> yeah, anything that goes wrong, they point back to me. 23 years, and it was born out of travail. I was at a church, and uh, uh, things worked where I had to leave that church, and it was the best for the church and for me. And um, we began with 32 people. And um, I wish I could say I I was smart enough to know, but again, uh, clarity comes in hindsight, you Mm. know. So I look in the rearview mirror and say, and I can see how God's hand moved us from not just its inception, but the locations, geography, place, and timing. Mm. All of those together has had uh, much to do with where our church is now. Fast forward in 23 years, we just broke ground 
on our new facilities. You know, we've been worshiping in makeshift buildings. We've been tabernacling for 23 years. You know, we throw around this word good church, but I mean, your church is, is truly a remarkable church. Over 20,000 members, yeah. all kinds of ministries. Yeah. Uh, what's the heart of your church? Uh, preaching. And, preaching. And, yeah, yeah, preaching and recla- and just reclaiming uh, Christ's words to go into the world and make messi- disciples. Somebody was asking me that. I said, oh, you can write a vision statement for your church easy. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to look at we're trying to reach this group, that group. If you don't know what to do, you don't have to get clever with it. You can just say what Jesus said, go into the world, make disciples, evangelize and disciple. Yeah. Those two are work. And we still at the heart of our church try to do that, to reach the unchurched, uh, the under church, or the over church, whatever they call them. Yeah. And we've tried to keep at the heart of our church not to be a uh, transfer church. That is, we don't try to design our ministry or our method of ministry to attract people from other churches. Right. I'm really against that. Um, yeah. So much transfer growth. You see it all mm. over the country. Church, oh, our church is growing. In essence, People are coming from other churches. I, I really look down on Just that. Just exchanging yeah. cheap. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, fishing yeah. and other people, aquarium, right. that kind of stuff. Right. It's the whole idea of saying there's a world out there that's lost, yeah. and there's no center shortage. So we don't have to borrow from anybody else's fault. We can ask God in prayer, by faith, to go and reach those people for him. And I still believe that the Lord does that. Wonderful. Now, the, I want to ask you about the name of your church. You know, there are a lot of churches with interesting names. Yeah. There's a church on the rock and the yeah. church in the air. And you're the church without walls. Right. Where did that name come from? Uh, out of a series of sermons I was preaching in Acts and I uh, made this comment, this little rift in the sermon that almost everything that Jesus did with major significance was outside. You know, yeah. he taught outside, he yeah. baptized outside, he even died outside. Yeah, outside and they, the gate. And then, yeah. and then the people wanted to lock him in, so they buried him, closed the door, <laughs> and he didn't like he burst being out. inside. Yes, yeah, so he got outside. He ascended. And a girl in my church said, that's how we are, the church with our walls. Now, I thought I was, that, that she was being clever, and I was too. The next Sunday, I said, we're, we're the church with our walls. That's who we are. And I found out that this uh, little book was written by a missiologist at Princeton called The Church Without Walls. Yeah. And then I think James either Peterson, I think it is, he did a book on The Church Without Walls. But I just use that to say, well, they affirm in what I believe, right? Yeah. So uh, I see that as the church without walls is that God is reaching beyond any particular location mm-hmm. into the world. That's, that's how I see And what it says to me about uh, your church, as I know it, and you, mm-hmm is that you have a vision for the whole world. You're located in Houston, Texas. You take seriously the community where you are. Uh, but the church is without walls in the yeah. sense that, you know, your your mission is as extensive as the love of Christ. Yeah. And that's a wonderful way to think about what the church ought to be. Yeah. One of the great joys over the last few years that our church really gotten heavy into is is that whole concept of uh, global missions mm. to care for people. It has been joyful because though we've done missions, it's been different to say, okay, God has called us. He has uniquely gifted us, resourced us, and we can make a difference in the lives of people around the world. And so we take on different projects. And to see these people get all excited about that. One one of the things, I'll just throw this out. We're getting ready to celebrate our 24th church anniversary. So we said, what do you do? You know, typically we just have a day of celebrating. But this year we're we're asking 2,400 volunteers to participate on a full weekend in 24 mission projects where we'll have 100 people 
per mission project throughout the city of Houston to say we're not asking you to give anything. We're just giving back to whatever it is. Mm -hmm. It may be shopping for elders or repairing homes or Mm. sitting in some kind of reform center with children. And we all hyped up about that. I'm I'm really looking forward to that. Fantastic. I've I've got Ralph D. West here, and I've got to talk about preaching. Yeah. Because I'm talking to a person who loves preaching and preaches with passion. How do you preach? When When you approach that challenging task of standing there and delivering the Word of God, what's going through your mind? What have you done to prepare for that moment? Reading devotionally and trying to understand theologically and then to package uh, what I've read and understood in a way that the listening congregation truly comprehends the uh, the heart and soul of what God has said in his text. Yeah. The, the work of preaching for me is hard. It yeah. really is. Yeah, it's yeah, hard yeah. work. And always trying to find how do you sound the right note so that the congregation say, I hear what God is saying. Now, uh, we talk a lot and we hear a lot today about different styles of preaching, narrative preaching, topical preaching, expositional preaching. Talk a little bit about those different methods or styles or approaches and how you uh, come at a text. Yeah, I I try to use all of them. I Mm. usually allow uh, the genre uh, uh, the situation of the text to actually shape the way that it's going to be communicated. You know, mm-hmm. if it's a story, I usually just tell a story. If it's narrated, I narrate it. If it's prose, I just preach it straightforward, maybe with some proposition. Uh, but uh, most of my preaching is always laced in some kind of story because it seems that's the way that uh, God told this story as a story. Yeah, and Jesus did yeah, a lot of that. Yeah, a lot he? of storytelling, so yeah. I, I approach it that way. You know, you and I are good friends with my colleague Robert Smith, Jr. Oh, yeah. I wish he were yeah. here today to share yeah. this conversation. When people ask me about uh, Robert Smith's preaching, mm-hmm. it's hard to pigeonhole it. Yeah. Is narrative? Yes. It's yeah. expositional? Oh, yes. He takes very seriously mm-hmm. the text. Uh, he'll he'll challenge you on certain issues, uh, but it's a more holistic and being open to letting the text itself, as you yeah. were saying, the genre in Scripture, inform your approach to the presentation. Yeah, and I think you do something along that same yeah, line. Yeah, I try. I try to do that. Um, I, that's what a real jar preaching is. How how do you get it? You know, that's what old uh, Doctor Massey yeah. um, called a jar for burden of preaching. Yes. You know, you know the ingestation of a text. How is it going to be birthed out? You know. And that, that becomes the great challenge and, but also the great joy of saying, how do you sound the note of preaching for people to hear? You know, and I actually, I don't, I don't switch hit, uh, on methods of preaching just to say, Oh, I've done that. I actually let the text just shape the way the sermon comes out. And that's where for me, it sounds natural. It's fluid. And uh, it is often received well from the people who hear it. Now, when I think about you and when I hear you preach, I don't think I'm listening to one of the great African-American preachers of our time, though that's true. Mm-hmm. I think I'm listening to one of the great preachers of our time. But I wonder if you could reflect on the African-American tradition, the heritage that is your heritage, yeah. and how that shapes the whole calling of preaching uh, in the church today. Preaching is an anticipatory event in the life of the African-American church. Uh, if there's any one thing that stands out even now, there's high anticipation to the preaching moment, but not just for the preacher that's preaching, but to the God that they expect mm. to do something. Mm. They really believe something is about to happen 
in this experience. People will wait for it. It's almost like at the end of the sermon and the church put out chairs, said we waited. It's almost a signal to say something is about to happen in this church. And even in the call and response of preaching, uh, God will make a way. Yes, he will. Yes, mm-hmm. he will preach. You know, say he made a way for Daniel. You know, say, yes, he, yes, did. he did. And they, and they picked <laughs> that up of saying, yeah. we know he's talking more than about Daniel. He's talking about all of the human predicaments where people are in trouble or hurt. And they expect the God that delivered Daniel is the God that would deliver us. Mm-hmm. There's a high anticipation of it. So I think that uh, not only does it create an anticipation of God doing something in the life of the uh, hearer, but for those who preach, it actually becomes that kind of this is a model of what God is calling us, not just to say, not to imitate just in style, but to preach theologically in a way that you preach of a God of hope, but also a God that is doing something mm. right now. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, sir. God is yeah. active in the world right now. I remember that as a boy listening to my pastor preach that on Sunday mornings, it was quite an event. I mean, it really was. He was a tremendous preacher. And when he preached, he believed not just what he said, but that God was going to do something. He would never use a term like transformative preaching, but he would expect. I remember when this boy came here, he was this way. And now look at him. Yeah, now. yeah. You yeah. see something happen in the life. Of you expect people. God yeah. to show up. Yeah. You know, yeah. Tom Long says a lot of us mm. go to church and, uh, the only thing that moves is the offering plate. Uh, but sometimes yeah. God shows up. Yeah, sometimes and, he shows up. Yeah. And we, we want to be there when that happens. Yeah. Now, uh, you, you mentioned your pastor influence. Who, who are some other uh, preachers, model preachers, who really had an influence on you and still do today maybe? One, one, one of the uh, uh, always, always start with my pastor because mm. he, he, really, he yeah. really shaped it. But uh, another one would be Dr. James Earl Massey. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dr. Dear Massey. Friend. Yes, yeah. he is. And then my now, now the preacher who I listen to almost every day is John Rowan Claypool. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, love to yeah. listen to Dr. Claypool. Yeah, yeah. He, he's my companion. He he directs me in devotion. Yeah. And then as you uh, directed the uh, vestrate for Dr. Gardner Taylor, yeah. he was one of those souls. Oh, and yeah. Manuel Scott Sr. is one of the real yeah. delights. That he I was in Dallas, Texas, to. wasn't he? Yes, he was. I remember meeting him one time. Yeah, but, great, uh, great preacher, great preacher. Oh, those are some great yeah. names. Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Taylor, of course, was uh, my teacher of preaching. Yeah, he taught the right. only course I've ever had on preaching. And if I could have just learned a little thin extract of what he was giving out, I would have been a much better preacher. But uh, what he taught us is that preaching is about life. Yeah. It's a, it's the encountering of life and the Word of God. Yeah. And they come together in a kind of tension yeah. that won't let you go. And you've got to be faithful to that. And uh, I'll never forget some of the phrases that he used and the way he lifted up the Word oh, of God. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> more than anybody I've known, Ralph, mm-hmm. I think uh, Gardner Taylor brought together passion and eloquence mm-hmm. with a power that was just uh, unbelievable. Yeah, and his words in preparation for the sweet torture of Sunday oh, morning. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. I want to ask you a question now. You're the pastor of one of the largest churches in our country, an amazing ministry, the Church Without Walls in Houston. But a number of our listeners on this podcast are pastors of medium-sized yeah. or even very small churches, mm-hmm. some in rural churches. What do you have to say to somebody like that? 
Uh, what does the megachurch have to say to somebody who struggles in a different context but still wants to be faithful? What would you say to encourage pastors like that? Uh, I would say, uh, you know, don't pay too much attention to labelization. <laughs> you know, a categorization can mess up a lot of things That's in the good. kingdom, you know. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in a large church. It never, and I, I never recall my pastor ever once referring to our church as being a large church. I'm just kind of at home in, if you would call big church. But I would say to a, a man or woman in a small, smaller church or medium or even large church, be faithful to the congregation that God has given to you. I hear Jesus saying to uh, Simon Peter, feed my sheep. Feed my lamb, feed my sheep, mm. and feed them. Feed them with the word that I've given to you. You know, um, uh, I, I know of different animals that's not supposed to eat certain dietary things that've been trained to eat outside of its nutrition, mm. and it just tears up the system. You know, and so uh, be faithful to feed the congregation with the word of God, yes. not on other things that doesn't matter, but on the word of God. And that would be one thing. And then I would say to them, uh, as a pastor in any church setting. Focus your attention on the supernatural. Mm. You know, take your gaze off of the material, the mundane, the transitory, and focus on the supernatural. Mm. I can hear my pastor saying those words in my ear when I ask him as a young pastor, what do you do? He said, if you can just focus in on the supernatural. And that was one of the ways of uh, maintaining integrity. And then the last thing I can hear him say to me and I would pass on other pastors. He said, you can pastor a church if this can happen, if men can trust you with their wives, and mothers and fathers can trust you with that daughter. I'll never forget that. And so that would be it. You know, be faithful to the calling that God has given to you. As Jesus was faithful to, you know, Galilee and Capernaum and Paul to Rome and mm-hmm. Titus to Crete. Be faithful to the, the place where God has put you. And then feed the word to the people. The way Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. And then have a life of integrity where you can be trusted about things and people. And I think that that I think that's what mega church really looked like. It's a lot smaller than the big congregation. Yeah, <laughs> what a wonderful word of encouragement to close this conversation. I've been speaking with Dr. Ralph Douglas West, the pastor of the Church Without Walls in Houston, Texas, a great preacher of the Word of God, a wonderful minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Ralph. Thank you, Dean. God bless you in your ministry down in Houston and throughout the world. Amen. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.